0: and good morning everyone welcome once again to ncf want to welcome all of you who are joining us in person here at st john's campus and we also welcome those of you who are watching online through our youtube live stream we hope and pray that you are able to have an endurable week in spite of the uh, crazy storm that we've had and that you've all been able to have a safe time at home with your loved ones let's begin our time now with a time of prayer let's pray father we ask that your grace and mercy would now be upon us as we get ready to hear from you. Lord, we pray that you would speak through your servant and through the words that come out of my mouth, that your spirit would do its work of having it burrow deep into our hearts so that we would hear the gospel story, the Christmas story, the story of our great God so that we know who we are in our identity as characters of this great story so that we could have fulfillment in the story that we are to live out and that we could fulfill the purpose to which we have been written in to this wonderful glorious narrative that we find our hope in. Father, we pray that as we prepare for this upcoming Christmas that you would especially now minister to us and be with us for you are the God who is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And so, Father, would you now speak through your servant in spite of him. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, it goes without saying that life has thrown upon us many negative experiences. Can I get an amen? Right? We go through negative experiences in life all the time. And if you've been part of our church for quite a while, you know that there is a particular experience that I have frequently mentioned to you, and that is FOMO, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. Well, in light of the experience of COVID-19 that we have all gone through, I wanna draw to your attention a new negative experience that I have labeled. I hope I become famous because of it, and that is YOMO, the Year of missing out, Y-O-M-O. This year has been a crazy year, has it not? 2020, the year of infamy, where we as a global society have missed out on so much, whether it's missing out on graduations, missing out on birthdays, missing out on baptisms, missing out on even, sadly, funerals. We have missed out so much This year. And as we draw it to a close, I fear that we could possibly miss out on something else that I hope you don't. And of course, I'm speaking of Christmas. I feel we are in danger of missing out on Christmas. Case in point, today is December 20th, 2020. We are five days shy of Christmas. And here I am standing before you, preaching to you my one and only Sunday Christmas sermon. And if you've been part of our church for a while, you know that is so out of character of me because every holiday season, I provide for you an Advent sermon series where I give you at least a month's worth of sermons. So even I, as your pastor, almost missed out on Christmas as evidenced by my almost negligence to my duties to you as a pastor. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking something to the effect of, oh, come on, PJ." Go easy on yourself. And while you're at it, can you go easy on us? Because after all, we've just gone through, and we're still going through, a pandemic where we had to suffer so much suffering, so much setback, so much sorrow. Don't you think God would be okay if we missed out on Christmas just this year? Don't you think he would be fine if we just let Christmas pass out without much consideration? To which I would respond, no, he wouldn't. You know Why? for two reasons. Reason number one, even before anyone had to contend with COVID, so many of us had been missing out on Christmas. What's that? Yeah. Consider this quote from Pastor John MacArthur as he writes, quote, the majority of people in the world will miss the next Christmas. But how can that be? How can anyone miss Christmas given the amount of adverse advertising, publicity, and promotion the holiday receives each year? Because although many, because... Although many celebrate Christmas every year, most don't know what it's about. In spite of all the media promotion of Christmas, the majority of people will miss it because it has become so obscured, end quote. People have been missing out on Christmas way before COVID arrived on the scene. So I don't think it's a valid excuse to hide behind as to why anyone would try to use that to say, well, I'm going to miss out on Christmas this year. In fact, that segues into the second reason for my no answer as to why we shouldn't miss out on Christmas. And that is it's because we have suffered so much sorrow, so much setback, so much sabotage that we need to especially be sure that we don't miss out on Christmas. Or if I could put it more simply, it's because of this crazy pandemic of COVID-19 and all of its rippling effects that we must ensure that we don't miss out on Christmas. And so today, as we look at these two passages in Matthew and Luke, I want to show you how we can avoid missing out on Christmas by informing you ways in which we typically do in the hopes that you will learn from that and not miss out on it. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you today in today's sermon— Number one, the first common reason people miss out on Christmas. The first common reason people miss out on Christmas. Number two, the second common reason people miss out on Christmas. Easy points to remember. And finally, the only reason people need so that they won't miss out on Christmas. Okay, so those are the things that we're going to look at in today's sermon. Let's begin with the first point. The first common reason people miss out on Christmas. So... As you were listening to Pastor Charles read to you that passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, we come across recognizable names that we Christians hear during this time of year. Do we not? Because these are the names that are frequently spoken of in Christmas sermons, names that are acted out in Christmas plays, names that are portrayed in Christmas television specials or Christmas movies, names like Joseph and Mary, Caesar, Augustus, and even Quirinius, weird name. Even that name becomes easily recognizable in our holiday state of minds. But I want to draw your attention to a person that our passage doesn't name but undoubtedly references, and that is the innkeeper. The innkeeper. Yeah, the innkeeper. What are you talking about, PJ? I was listening carefully as PC was reading this passage. There's no reference to an innkeeper. What innkeeper are you talking about? There's no reference to an innkeeper at all, to which I would respond, you need to pay closer attention. And so let's do that now. The second half of verse 7 where we read, because there was no place for them in the inn. Back in the days of this story, there were inns scattered throughout the ancient world, and there was one where Mary and Joseph happened to land upon in our story, Bethlehem okay and just as the existence of a watch assumes the existence of a watchmaker the existence of this inn assumes the existence of an innkeeper this very verse indirectly tells us that there was an innkeeper which begs the question why does the author Luke who happens to be a stickler for details I mean did you catch all the specific names he enumerates throughout the Christmas story why does he conspicuously leave out the innkeeper Why does he keep him hidden from our reading eyes? Why is he invisible in the story? Well, you know, it's by asking such questions that you stumble upon the first common reason people tend to miss out on Christmas. And to give you a clue of what that is, consider these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 22. We read, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, come on back. Here Jesus seems to give a very weird statement. Because he starts off talking about having a bad eye and how it practically causes a person to live as if they're in the dark. But then he goes on talking about money and greed and almost gives the impression that Jesus is a little bit scatterbrained where he starts off a conversation talking about one topic and then, without warning, drastically shifts to another topic that has no relevancy to the first. But if that is what you're thinking, let me tell you, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Jesus is making a very powerful and poignant point and to show you what that is consider this quote from pastor James Petty as he writes this as he reflects on this passage quote a coveting eye is a bad eye it cannot see what is really there it sees only darkness jesus is saying that the spiritually blind cannot see the reality of god's eternal kingdom in scripture wealth And the desire for it are the most common sources of spiritual and moral blindness. Just as the blind mind can only feel what is in front of him, so the one who serves money cannot see God's new kingdom. End quote. What's he saying? He's saying that the love of money, which includes the obsessive worrying over money, the obsessive working for money, the obsessive wonder of money, will make you blind to God and what he's doing in the world. Let me say that again. The love of money, which includes the obsessive worrying over money, the obsessive working for money, the obsessive wonder of money, will make you blind to God and what he is doing in the world. This is why the author Luke does not show us the innkeeper. His inability to be seen is a reflection of his spiritual condition. He is blind to God and what he is doing in the world. And now we come upon the first common reason why so many miss out on Christmas. Because so many people are so preoccupied with the pursuit of power, of possessions, of pleasures, all of which come attached to money, okay? And as a result, if you find yourself in that kind of mindset yourself, you end up developing that same negligent mindset when it comes to God in your relationship to Jesus. Because in many ways, this innkeeper is saying to Jesus through his parents, I'm sorry, Lord, I have no room for you right now. Okay? I'm sorry. And the question is, is that describing your life, Christian? Is it describing your life where you find yourself saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm a little bit busy, I'm a little bit preoccupied, I just don't have room for you right now. If you're not sure if it could be, Consider these very convicting words from Pastor James Hastings as he writes this, quote, Every chamber of the soul is so filled with human interest that there is little room for Christ. There is little vital interest in him. There is little, if any, time for him. And this is so simply because our time is demanded by a thousand other things. Our interest is drawn off in a thousand other directions. And our life is crowded to the full with possessions and pleasures until, strange though it seems, there is no room for the Savior except in the stable, end quote. Do you know why so many miss out on Christmas and why they will this year? It's because they're so preoccupied with the pursuit of power, of possessions, right? of you know, pleasure, the pursuit of money, or simply put, the worship of money. Now, one question that I hope is stirring in your mind right now is why are people like this? Why are people, you and I, why are we so crazy over wealth, of income, of monetary funds? What is it about this thing that just drives us so crazily to where we become blind to who God is and what he's doing in life and maybe what he's doing in your life? Well, to ask such dangerous questions, will confront you with answers that you might not be ready to hear, but yet, here we are. So, to do this, let's go to the second point, the second common reason people miss out on Christmas let's take a look at the other passage for today Matthew chapter 2 we're starting in verse 1 we read now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who has been born king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him when Herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born okay pause right there your attention please here here we come across another familiar name that we hear so often during this time, and that is Herod, the current reigning king of the Jews. And I imagine for those of you who grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, you recognize this name Herod. But I'm willing to bet that many of you will not know the kind of person Herod was. And so to remedy that, quick biography. If you ever read historians who lived during this time of Herod, they will tell you that he was a crazy, power-hungry, power-hungry, psycho king. He was a crazy, power-hungry, paranoid psycho Consider these words from Josephus, a man who lived during the time of Herod as he says this about him, quote, He, Herod, was a man who was cruel to all alike and one who was easily gave in to anger and was contemptuous to justice. And yet he was as greatly favored by fortune as any man has ever been in that from being a commoner, he was made king and though encompassed by innumerable perils he managed to escape them all and live on to a very old age as for the affairs of his own household and his relations to his sons he had in his own opinion at least enjoyed very good fortune since he had not failed to get the better of those whom he considered his enemies but in my opinion he was very unfortunate indeed quote. now just in case you're a little confused as to why Josephus references Herod's son's along with Herod's enemies in the same sentence, it's because Herod saw his sons as his enemies. Yeah, he killed his sons, two of them to be exact. Why? Because he was so paranoid that he thought his sons were trying to take over his throne when they weren't. And if he thought that was bad enough, he also kills their mother, his own wife. Herod was a cold-blooded, merciless killer, And the reason why he was this way is for one reason and one reason alone. He was consumed with being king and staying king at all costs by any means necessary. Now, I know that when you and I come across certain characters, certain people who fit this kind of profile, we naturally assume something to the effect of, man, I am so glad I am nothing like this guy. I am so glad that I share no commonality, no similarities with such a villainous, vile, victimizing creature, right? And maybe that's what you're thinking right now but before you settle your heart to that kind of a conclusion let's read again that quote from Josephus but let's focus on just one sentence in that quote listen again to what he said about Herod excuse me and yet he was as greatly favored by fortune as any man has ever been in that from being a commoner he was made king and though encompassed by innumerable perils he managed to escape them all and lived on to a very old age now thought experiment If this was the only surviving historical description of Herod, okay, let's say we didn't have the New Testament, we didn't have any sort of background information except for this small little quote I just read to you about Josephus. I'd imagine that this quote would transform Herod in your mind from being someone who you had nothing in common with to someone who you shared a lot in common with because this small description fits perfectly to the fundamental narrative that you and I are taught to believe in and to live out ever since we are little kids. And what narrative am I speaking of? I'm speaking of the American dream, right? To going from nothing to something to overcoming adversity by your own sweat, right? The same dream that many of you are actively trying to realize in your own life. Now, just in case you're a little fuzzy as to what I mean by the American dream, consider this definition that I came across on the Investopedia website. It goes like this, quote, The American dream is the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, can attain their own version of success in a society where upward mobility is possible for everyone. The American dream is achieved through sacrifice, risk-taking, and hard work rather than simply chance and This definition matches perfectly to that small description of Herod that Josephus wrote about all those centuries ago. And because that is true, that also means that maybe, just maybe, you may have some things in common with Herod than you initially thought you didn't. Now, what I'm about to say can come across as highly offensive to you, and yet it needs to be said. If it is possible that there are some aspects to Herod that you have some commonality with. Couldn't it also be possible that there are many aspects, dare I say all aspects of Herod, that you have commonality with? Couldn't it be possible that if you face the same opportunities, had to contend with the same threats, that you would turn out no different than King Herod himself? And because that is true, doesn't that also mean that you, like Herod, are driven by one thing and one main thing alone, and that is to be king and to stay king at all costs, by any means necessary? I know what you're probably thinking to yourself right now. How dare you, Pastor John? How dare you say such a disgusting, vile thing? How dare you make an accusation like that to me? But is it really a how dare you, Christian? Is it really? Let me ask you this. You ever... Struggle with being troubled? You know, have you ever had to deal with this chronic sense of fear and excessive worrying and anxiety and just being unsettled? You know, just being troubled. To which I know you would say, of course, who hasn't? Hold on to that as I read to you the first half of verse 3, another description of Herod. When Herod the king heard this, he was what? Troubled. Herod has something in common with you, Christian. He was troubled as well. You know, it's interesting. I think most people assume that the experience of being troubled is such a normal, everyday experience for everybody, for anybody, and so they think that if you are troubled, it's not an indication of anything significant to the person who gets troubled. But if you ever talk to people who work in the realm of psychiatry, psychology, they'll tell you that people who have a tendency to be frequently and consistently troubled are some of the most self-absorbed, self-centered people on the planet. Consider these sobering words from Counselor Earl J. Bay. He says this, quote, The person whose lifestyle is basically ego-centered is a troubled, problem-laden individual. When this person brings children into the world, he fashions them into his own image. He also worships them as he worships himself, for his God is man, quote. What's another reason so many miss out on Christmas? It's because they're too obsessed with a dream, a dream they're trying to live out, a dream that says, I am the king, and I will do anything to anyone to make sure I stay king at all cost. Now imagine a person who thinks that way, what their attitude is gonna be about money. Don't you think a person who is obsessed with being king and staying king will do all they can to amass the tools necessary to reign as their king, as their own king? Yeah. Turns out (coughs) that these two reasons I'm speaking of are actually a two-for-one deal, where if you have one, you're going to have the other. They're two sides of the same coin, to where if you're struggling with one common reason, guess what? You also have the second common reason. They're like symptoms of a cold that you can't differentiate, you can't distinguish, and therefore discriminate against they always come together which means you have a double threat against you this holiday season and every holiday season so the question is how can we overcome it is there a way to overcome it i believe there is and this leads me to the final point the only reason people need so they won't miss out on christmas let's go back to matthew chapter 2 this time Focus in on verses 4 to 6. We read, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so here we just read Herod was told that the true king of the Jews was born. Okay? And so Herod, in his troubled state of mind, frantically asks the Bible scholars around him where his birth was foretold in the Old Testament. And as we just read in verse 5, they tell him, according to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he was born in the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now, I know when most Christians today hear the name Bethlehem, it has a very special ring to it. It's a very meaningful place for them because, duh, after all, that is the birthplace of our great God right but did you know that before jesus was born bethlehem was not considered a special place it was not considered meaningful in any sense of the form in fact got quite the opposite it was considered a place for losers for failures okay for rejects and the reason why it had such a terrible reputation is because of the massive downfall of its local hometown hero a man by the name of david david In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we are told that David was anointed to be king in the town of Bethlehem by none other than the prophet Samuel. In other words, Bethlehem was the place where God publicly declared that David could possibly be the greatest king of Israel ever, and indeed he almost was. If you ever read his life story in the Old Testament, you come to find that during his reign as king, he amassed vast amounts of wealth, more than any other king or king after him. And during his reign, he was able to unite the 12 tribes of Israel and through them expand the borders of his kingdom that no other king after him was ever able to repeat. In many ways, David was the embodiment of the success story of the American dream. He was the model of what the American dream could be. But if you keep reading on about his story, you know he didn't meet that potential. He didn't fulfill that destiny to where some very poor choices that he made resulted in him losing everything. He lost his fame. He lost his fortune. He lost his family. And you know why? Because of one reason and one reason alone. He was obsessed with being king and staying king at all costs, by any means necessary, even if it meant killing a person who loved him killing, murdering him, okay? And as a result, a place that originally had so much grandeur because it was the origin of the potential greatest king ever, now was forever cursed as the birthplace of the greatest loser, the greatest fallen person, the greatest failure. Not the kind of place you'd want to be associated with in any way. And yet here's what's so astounding. When God chose to come into the world to save it, to where he would have to become a man, to where he would have to be born at a certain place, he chooses of all places to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Why? Knowing the reputation that it held during this time. The answer is quite simple. It's because of the gospel. The gospel. Now what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that says, you and I and every other person that walks on this earth we constantly miss out on God, and not just during Christmas, but every season, every moment, every place of our history on this earth. We are always missing out on God intentionally or even unintentionally, and yet God chooses to never allow himself to miss out on you. That's what the gospel teaches us. Let me explain that. Um, this reference to Bethlehem, right, which is really a reference to David's failure, it's designed to send shivers down our spine. It's supposed to make us feel uneasy. Consider these words from Old Testament scholar Ralph Davis. He says this, quote, The mention of Bethlehem has an ominous ring to it. The birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem, and not in Jerusalem, the city of David, presupposes that the family of David, out of which the Messiah's birth is to spring, will have lost the throne and have fallen into poverty. End quote. Now you hear this and you're wondering, why would this reference to David's failure, i.e. Bethlehem, why should that send shivers down my spine, PJ? Well, maybe this kind of quirky illustration could help. I'm sorry, this is the only thing I could think of. Um, Let's imagine you're back in middle school and the school year has started, no COVID, okay, so it's a normal school year, and then a new bully comes into your school and he is just beating down, terrorizing, threatening everybody, and then he sets his eyes on you and he says, you are next, he just says that. And at first, you're not too bothered because, lo and behold, your best friend, he's the toughest kid you know. He was always the toughest kid in school. He was always the toughest kid in your neighborhood. And he's got your back. And he says, you know what? Don't worry about that. I'll take care of him. And then they go toe to toe. And behold, your best friend gets beaten down. Right? He's failed you. And now, your best friend's failure sends shivers down your spine. Because if he has no hope in attempting to rule over this bully, that means you have no hope of having any peace in your life as well. That is why David's failure is designed to send shivers down your spine. If there was anyone who could have been a true success story of the American dream, of the deluded attempt to be king and stay king at all costs, it was this guy David, and yet he failed. See, David's failure is an ominous warning to all of us that any of our attempts of trying to be the king of our lives and stay the king of our lives is doomed to failure, and you will end up just like David, a reject, a loser, a failure. And yet here's what's so crazy. We still do it. All of us in here at this moment, I bet right now, you're still trying to live out this dream, are you not? You're still trying to live out this dream this dream of being king and staying king or in its more sanitized version, the American dream, aren't you? And it's potentially and will event, eventually lead you into turning out into a person that you think you could never be like, Herod. And because that is so, God has every right to just get you out of his life, to just be done with you, to be rid of you. Right? But he doesn't. He chooses to come to Bethlehem because he's coming for people like David, people like Herod, people like you, people like me. That is what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches us that God is in perfect position to reject us because by doing so, he wouldn't be missing out on anything. And yet, God purposefully, persistently pursues us because in his heart and mind, He cannot miss out on you because he loves you with a special love. Notice I said special love as in unique, one of a kind, unduplicatable, set apart. You know, one of the ways that you know that you really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is when you have the conviction that Jesus loves you in a way that you are not capable of loving yourself. In other words, One of the ways you know you really believe this is the truth that you live by is that Jesus loves you in a way that you cannot replicate for yourself. And because that is true, that means you also come to the conviction that Jesus as the king over your life is a far better setup than you trying to be the king over your life. Because when Jesus is king over your life, it affects you in such a way that it blesses other people. But when you try to be the king of your own life, you end up becoming a heritage to the people you love and the people who love you. You see? If you want to ensure that you do not miss out on Christmas, you need to understand and you need to experience and embrace this love of God through Jesus Christ that the Christmas story reminds us by virtue of the fact that your king came to Bethlehem. Friends. Do you believe that story? If you don't, then I implore you simply with this request. Stop trying to be the king of your life and start trusting the true king who gave his life for you by dying on the cross as the substitute savior for your sins. When you understand that, then and only then will you be able to not fall into the tragedy of missing out on Christmas this year. Haven't we missed out enough already? Let's make sure that we end this year on not missing out what I believe is the most important thing, the good news that your God will never choose to miss out on you, and he's ensured that he'll never miss out on you by faith in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to remember this beautiful story that is not simply just a story, but it's our story where you have come to show yourself as the person that you are. You are the king. You are the only king. You are our king. You are my king. And Father, forgive us when we have attempted to take over your throne over our lives, causing so much havoc in ourselves and destruction to the people around us. Father, may this Christmas season especially be a reminder to us that you are the one who we can never miss out on because you've ensured that you will never miss out on us. And so, Lord, may that be a treasure that we hold on to as we transition into this new year and that we would begin this upcoming year and every year here on Howe, always committed to the conviction that our great God loves us with a special love because our God is the only true king over life itself and over our own lives. Would you help us to hold on to this conviction, especially in times like this, so that no matter what we miss out in life, we know that we have not missed out on the only thing that is important to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.